0: We continue our reflection from the book of Exodus. And we have a story here on Moses when he enters a dialogue in the meeting tent, a dialogue with the Lord. As you know, the the Ark of the Covenant, which was prepared by the people of God and placed in a tent. It was a place, a temple f- for the people of God. The one who would enter this meeting tent was Moses and Joshua. And it is there that Moses would enter into a communion, a dialogue with God. God would speak to him. And whenever the Lord would speak, there'll be like a cloud around the tent and this cloud would indicate that God is speaking to Moses. So the people of God would go in front of their own tents where they were and they worship the Lord. But what happened is that not only did God communicate, revealed himself more and more to Moses, revealed his covenant relationship, the code of holiness and all the other precepts that Moses received, and instructions which Moses received from God. But in that dialogue itself, there was a type of radiance on the face of Moses that people were, were kind of afraid of. They would see him, and they would be afraid. They said, we can't look at your face, because when you go and speak with God, when you are in that communion with God, your face radiates. And so they told him, he says, "When you speak with us, put a veil over your head, because we feel ashamed. We feel like we're unworthy. We feel like we just don't we're not on the same, on the same level of the love of God. And so Moses would come out and would put a veil, but whenever he would enter the tent, the meeting tent, he would always lift the veil and speak with God face to face. The radiance on the face of Moses was the radiance of God's love, God's mercy, God's presence. We speak of God's glory, glory, God's glory being reflected on the face of a human being that enters into a dialogue with God. The analogy in human life is sometimes when people fall in love, you can see on their faces, they're glowing love is is able to Mm -hmm. give us a type of glow. But people who love the Lord, who spend time, who adore him, especially in the Eucharist, who read scripture, there's a transformation that takes place on their faces, is visible, because God's word is powerful. God's word is dynamic. God's word can transform us, allow that glory, that radiating love come through us. Those who love the Lord, yes, they cannot have a a stern face or indifferent face or cold face or hateful, uh, you know, uh, facial type of image because it's not possible. God is ultimately love and mercy itself. So the, the closer we are. And the closer we come to God, we reflect his glory, we reflect his love, we reflect his life, his happiness, because God ultimately is the source of our happiness. It is that which we desire and seek. In today's gospel, which actually is part of the last, last, last Sunday's gospel, looks like the Lord wants us to reflect more deeply on what is the kingdom of God, what is his reign, what is that which god gave us which we call the kingdom of god is the kingdom of god here on this earth god's special gifts to humanity and that special gifts is the revelation of himself his revelations of his commandments but even more is the revelation of the incarnate son of god the reign of god is the reign of jesus the reign of his kingdom, the reign of his revelation, revelation of the deeper knowledge of God's provisions for us as human beings, God who offers himself. And so the Lord describes that this kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in the fields, like a treasure. You know, sometimes I, when I was young, I, I liked to follow the searching for the treasures, you know, whatever they may be. It's always interesting But those treasures were, or treasure chest, whatever, is something that's unusual, something that's hidden, not fully revealed, and yet there, waiting for us, waiting to be discovered, waiting to, to receive. And so Jesus speaks of his kingdom, the divine reality, divine dispositions, divine gifts, Maybe not seen by everyone, but those who seek, they'll find it. And even those who may not exactly seek, seek but they may stumble upon it. And so we have two, two of the parables of what kingdom of God is. One parable is that a person plows the fields. He's not looking for treasure. He's just doing the normal activities of his trade. And along the way, he discovers this treasure. And then he realizes what it is. And he wants to receive that treasure for himself, so he kind of hides it again. And so wants to buy the field because this way he'll have the property. It's like if you live in Ohio or Pennsylvania or Texas, you may buy a house or property, but you may also include you know, the, the privilege of having all the natural resources, gas, oil too, with property rights, fuel rights as well. So in this case, we have this this parallel of this person who's plowing the fields. It's not his field, he's a worker. And then, so he wants to buy the field. He sells everything else that he owns uh, in order for him to purchase that field with the treasure. The treasure, which is beyond we honor everything that he possesses. He wants, he's willing to let go of everything else so that he may have this treasure because he knows and understands what this treasure is. There was always the, in Christian tradition, there was the uh, type of understanding people who are willing to give up everything for, for this treasure of great price. Look at the saints, Augustine. He was not looking exactly for, for God He was looking for something else. He was looking for wisdom. And then he discovered that which his mother already knew, mother prayed for, but he didn't see it. Ultimately, he was able to acquire it. And in his fullness, he received it. And we know what happened to him. His whole life was transformed. He became the treasure for others. And even he's a treasure for us today. Born in Northern Africa, and he's the gift for the church, and has been the treasure of wisdom, which points to the true wisdom, which is God himself, Jesus, and his his gift of his kingdom. But we have to say those who discovered this treasure, like Thomas More, look who he was, a great uh, second in command of the kingdom of England. Uh, He was able to have everything he wished and desired, and yet for him, faith and the love that he had for Jesus, love for the church, was so great that he was willing to let go of his possessions because he did not approve, you know, the the king's decision to become himself the, the, you know, the in charge of, of the Church of England. He could not and so what happens is he loses his property. He loses his freedom. He loses his life. Is willing to, and is willing to let go of everything for the great price. That pearl that he has, he considered the church, because within the church, he knows that the church possesses everything, possesses the word of God, possesses the Eucharist, the sacraments possesses the guidance. The church is a depository of the kingdom. This is what we have. So that's why when people say well, I'm I'm a believer or I am a spiritual or so without the church. They do not have they do not have the treasure which the church provides sacramental the teachings the guidance spirituality the wisdom the prudence, which is all contained. That's a pearl of great price, or the treasure buried in the field. The unknown, how many people leave the church without really realizing what they're leaving. They're thinking they know what they're leaving. There's something better out there. But is there something better? Is there the treasure? Or is it just an empty box which they're searching? They think that maybe you know, some ideologies of today or some philosophies of the Eastern Eastern uh, world, they consider that maybe that's maybe just an empty box. It looks beautiful outside, but does it contain the living God? Does it contain Jesus, our Savior? Does it contain His teachings? It does not. And so for us here today, the Lord is inviting us to search for that pearl of great price, search which. And, and not only search, but for those who search to find, those who wish, and even those who perhaps not, like the, the the plowman who works in the field, he was not looking for treasure and yet he found. But then he recognized the treasure and was willing to appropriate and and, and receive. What is the great treasure for us which is so fully understood, and it's the Eucharist. The Eucharist is a great treasure. Uh, There's a a person, uh, our saint today, Saint Peter Julian Amard, who discovered this Pearl of Great Price, and he wrote and wrote about it. There are many, many books which he wrote on Holy Communion, on real presence, and what do we do uh, because what happened to him? He was living in France he, soon after the the great, the great French Revolution, the destruction of churches, the destruction of the Eucharist, um, pursuing this type of, as we understand, you know, ideology supposed to be for freedom, liberty, egalite, uh, fraternite, all these wonderful statements, wonderful, great ideas for humanity but the french revolution ushered in incredibly violent period of time incredibly violent destruction of everything that's good so great ideas but the reality showed forth something different he was born in the aftermath of french revolution he saw what took place he saw the lack of appreciation especially for the eucharist and so the lord kind of drew his heart Yes, he was ordained a priest, a diocesan priest, but he wanted to have a little more. And so he joined the Marist, but then he wished even more because he wanted to promote the Eucharist, the knowledge of the Eucharist and the love for the Eucharist. So he established a religious community, men's community, Congregation of Blessed Sacrament. And then together with, with a wonderful lady who loved the Eucharist as well, he established Congregation for Women, Servants of the Blessed Sacrament. And, and so that's what he did. He wrote everything about the Eucharist and for anyone who wishes to come to know the Eucharist better, just opening things that may seem, you know, uh, just a little short, brief reflections on the Eucharist. One, you know, there's one which says here, just the seven pages out of the, what is known collection called Holy Communion. And he says, I, he is mine and I am his very simple my beloved to me and i to him it is from canticle uh, of the song of songs to possess jesus is to possess to be possessed by him that is love in its highest manifestation that is the life of union between the soul and jesus which is nourished reciprocally by the gift of each one to the other The beloved in the blessed sacrament belongs wholly to me by the entire and perfect personal and perpetual gift of himself. I must belong to him in the same manner. Just uh, just reading a couple sentences here and some from the other one. In all the other mysteries, by all his graces, Jesus gives, gives us something, his grace, his merits, his example in holy communion he gives himself entire so saint peter julian Amart says first of all god gives us all kinds of gifts knowledge uh, awareness he may give us blessing material blessings but he says those are some things that he gives to us but he says the greatest gift is giving of himself it's like you know somebody says, well, I really appreciate you, I'm going to give you this, I'm giving give you that. But then when somebody says, I'm here for you, whatever you wish, I would like to do for you. I, there's no limits, I'm not placing any limits. I'll be there, whatever you desire. And so Peter and Mark says, we cannot compare the, the, the quality of gifts. Yes, they're wonderful gifts, but the greatest gift is God who gives himself. And he says, in Holy Communion, he gives himself entire. He gives himself in his two natures together with the graces and merits of all the states through which he has passed. What a gift. He gives all who keeps nothing for himself. Is not this the Eucharistic gift? Whence could the thought have come to our Lord to give himself thus, but from his heart, burning with a boundless love for mankind O heart of Jesus, infinitely generous heart, be thou praised and blessed forever. Jesus, who loves each one of us in, in particular, gives himself to each one. Love that is general, little moves us, but we cannot resist the love that is shown to us personally. That God loved the world is very beautiful, but that he loves me, myself, tells me so, and to convince me, gives himself to me. That is the triumph of his love. For Jesus comes for me. I might say it, he comes for me alone. I am the object of this mystery of infinite power and love which is being enacted on a holy altar. For it aims at me, is perfected in me, a love which I shall O love, what shall I give in return, that I, poor creature that I am, should occupy thus the thought of Jesus Christ, that I th- I should be the goal of His love? O live and reign in me, my God! I will not. That, I will, I will not. That you should have loved me in vain. Uh, there's so many things. I mean, I wish I could read more, but this time is limited here for us. But I'd like to just read a couple more sentences from another volume called The Real Presence. In the, in the Eucharist, Jesus Christ accepts again this immolation of self-giving. He gives himself. He is there without any rights whatsoever. The law does not give him recognition. He knows that whether it's post-French uh, Revolution or contemporary laws, the laws don't say anything about it. It says, the law does not give him recognition. He, God made man, the savior of the human race, has scarcely a word in a code of the nations, he has redeemed. Although he gives, although he lives in our midst, we do not know him. There has stood one in the midst of you whom you do not know. He has no social standing In many countries, the Feast of Corpus Christi has been suppressed. Jesus Christ cannot come out or show himself in public. He must hide himself. Men are ashamed of him. I know not the man. But who are they who are ashamed of Jesus present in the Eucharist? It is not the non-believers, the Eucharist. It is Christians, we ourselves, who don't respect, who do not understand, who do not love. And, you know, there's a a, uh, study that has been done that up to 70% of Catholics do not believe in true presence of Jesus. So that's why they don't respect because they do not know. And it is us who understand, it is us who God has given the grace to know we are to be the channels of knowledge by the respect that we have, by love we have, by the fact that we cherish to receive him each day or as often as we can. And so he says here, the Eucharist is without defense. The Lord himself without defense, without protection, provided you do not publicly disturb divine worship, you may abuse the Eucharist and commit sacrilegious with impunity. That is no one's business but your own. So Jesus is then without protection from from human beings. Perhaps heaven will take up his defense. The Lord allows himself to be mistreated. And yet to those who recognize him, he's the power of God. He's, the, he's a transforming, divinizing source for all of us. He makes our hearts, transforms our hearts into being true lovers of God and lovers of men, lovers of each other. It is that power that is able to make us into being sons and daughters of God, is the power by which we become great saints here on earth and also sharers and partakers of divinity in our life to come. This is what it is. I know these couple of sentences I read, but they're interesting because they help us to grow in that awareness. I think that you know, perhaps maybe you or others may pick up some books on the Eucharist by Saint Peter Julian Aymard to come to know him more, to rejoice in his presence among us, to live this Eucharistic spirituality here on earth through adoration, but above all, through the reception, worthy reception, and allowing the grace of God to do the miracles within our hearts. How many people have come to the shrine and receive healing when they receive the Eucharist? Countless, those who I have witnessed, who have shared with me, by the reception of the Eucharist, by the reception of God. But we, if we recognize that he came here to bring forth great miracles, then he can is able to act. And so St. Faustina, in the diary, when we read that Jesus says, I cannot perform great miracles because they don't believe in me at least you, and for all who are invited, allow me to work the great miracles by my presence in you. By uh, when we meditate on him whom you are deceived, when we walk and talk with him, when we stay in communion throughout the day, he doesn't disappear, he's there, waiting for us to call upon him, so we may walk the journey together with him to journey that transforms everything that we touch because it is in he, he who is in us who is able to do those things. And until until one day, we will see him at the banquet of life. And we need to bring as many to that banquet as possible. So maybe then today through this Eucharist, ask the Lord that we may come to know him more, to love him more, to experience his presence to a greater degree through the Eucharist, that he may become better known by many and as you know this is the year right now when we are to ponder and to allow this eucharistic glow eucharistic truth to come and 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 make us as a church more eucharistic to share in the glory of god
1: are you a marian helper